The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So I wanted to start tonight with the topic we all know, and that is stress. And I thought I'd start with a story of my own. Um, and this happened a few weeks ago, just before um, August 12th, in fact. Uh, I was a giant and I was returning a something I'd bought there. And no problem, the manager up at the front gave me my money back. And then I had some more shopping to do, but before I did that, I stopped at the front of the store, they have those racks of newspapers, and I read a few headlines, and it's part of a story. And I came across a headline on the story that there's a move in Congress to um, move ahead on a, trying to push through a bill talking about loosening um, um, restrictions or protection on wildlife and on natural, the forests of the, uh, 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 the forests. And I found myself just becoming outraged. I feel so strongly about, and, and they're going to do, want to do that because they want to increase uh, offer increased F, uh, opportunity for exploitation of resources and uh, so forth. So I became really upset. I mean, it, it, it was, I was almost physically nauseated. I was so angry. A lot of things had come together. Part of it was August 12 was just coming up, the anniversary. Another part of it was where the wildfire, the fires out in California, I had been due to go out there. I was going to land in Redding, and two days before that, the wildfires were there. And it wasn't just because I was going to go and had to cancel. It was because of the people I know there and the devastation there. And so all of these things seemed to come together when I read this. And I did go into the store, and I bought what I needed to buy in a fog. I mean, I was nauseated. I was angry. And I came to the checkout counter, and I told the woman who was, the che who was doing the cashier, checking me out, I said, you know, I said, uh, I had returned an item, but I, I didn't get a refund on my credit card. And she said, you didn't? Oh, well, she said, let me call the man who had done that. And I said, fine. And she called him, and then I said, wait a minute. I said, wait, I remember. He gave me cash. <laughs> I totally had blanked out. I mean, it was only 20 minutes before that, but I totally had blanked out. Now, I think she, she must have thought, you know, ah, a senior, you know, having a senior moment. <laughs> and I have senior moments, I would say. But this wasn't one of them. This was anger. It was really rage. And I realized, you know, it just seems to me this is so emblematic of what's going on widespread amongst many people here in this country. Uh, stress levels, I've got some statistics here. Gallup poll, it was late last year, said that eight out of, found that eight out of 10 Americans are, express, are experiencing significant stress. And then according to American Psychological Association, nearly six and 10, 60% of the adults of this country are stressed by the current social divisiveness and on and on and on. And you know, I think none of us need be surprised at that. This is everything that's going on, whether it's in the politics nationally, and this is a rough ride, our politics nationally, but wherever it is, global warming, you know, all of this is really, really stressful. 
It's what the Buddha called the first noble truth. The first noble truth I will remind you or tell you in case you don't know, he mentioned four of them, but we're only going to talk about, well, one and then mentioning the other two, two of the others. The first noble truth is there is suffering in life. It's called dukkha in the ancient Pali language. We refer to it, talk about it often. It seems to be the core, it's a core around which many, many of our talks are focused. And I think we all know it so very, very well. Dukkha. You know, I think the Buddha had taught only that. He would have just passed this way along with the billions of other human beings and we would never have heard of him again because we're all so familiar with the stress in life. Huh? I think many of us feel and have and go through some of these days with a sense of being brokenhearted, stressed, angry, bitter, whatever. It takes many, many different farms. The first noble truth, though, was only the starting point for the Buddha because um, he said a lot of other things as well. And here is one of the things that I'd like to focus on and tell you that he said. And he said, live in joy in peace, and in peace, even among those who hate. Live in joy in health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and love, even among the troubled. I said, wow, what a huge, huge teaching that is. You know, and uh, I think in this fraught world, it's something that we can do so well to both absorb and have as our aspiration. It sounds so big, though. I think we say, how? Sounds great. How do we do it? And that actually is what a lot of the Buddhist teaching is about, and that's the how. It's about how to put these, how to actually do these things, not just think of them and yearn for them, but how to do them. And what I'd like to do tonight is to talk about one important aspect of the how, one important aspect of how to live in joy, in love, in health and peace. How do we do it? And that is, I want to talk tonight about forgiveness, just one aspect of the whole but about forgiveness. And I want to get there by way of talking about the first noble truth, that there is suffering in life. I want to look at it closely as I begin. I think usually when we hear that and think about it and work with it in our lives, we think about this first noble truth and the suffering in terms of our own personal lives are those dear to us. There's abundant opportunities for us to work with it. Yes, I mean, years, endless, goes on and on. But what I'd like to focus on now is I think that is only, there is a deeper understanding of the Buddha's first noble truth. And I think what he was pointing to in addition to the suffering in our lives is the fact that, the fact that suffering is a part of life, always has been, and always will be. It's an intrinsic part of life. I think it's a profound shift in perspective when we begin to realize that. Always. Not like sometimes, not just my life and those around us, or what we hear in the news, but it always has been. 
And I thought about um, a song by the country singer John Denver. Some of us of a certain age remember John Denver. The rest of you may not. But here is one of his that called, was called Relatively Speaking. And here's what he said. Relatively speaking, you make me who I am. I need you exactly like the ocean needs the land. I need you like the sunshine needs the shadows in the night. I need you the way love needs the savage, hurtful fight. Relatively speaking, I'm nothing without you. You are where I've been before. You are where I'm going to. You are living out my dreams. You are all my fears. You evoke my laughter. You unleash every tear. The sick ones need the well ones. The living need the dead. Heaven needs its hell, you know. And love needs lonely beds. Relatively speaking, the contrast makes it go. Every action taken is related in the flow. I think you could say this was Denver's formulation of the first noble truth. <laughs> there is suffering in life. There is suffering in life. He knew clearly that suffering is intrinsic to life. It's not just this horrible, unpleasant fact. Um, he knew it was right there and intrinsic. And why is it intrinsic? I think if you th we think about it for a minute, we realize, you know what? It's because of the will to survive. That's survival. You touch a, ner a, a worm and it's going to retract from your finger like danger. Or a turtle retreats into its shell. Or if we feel that someone is imposing on our interests or something dear to us, we respond, we react, we want to defend. I mean, we humans are capable of loving intensely and we can fight like hell, can't we? And we do. And that's what happens on our personal lives. Certainly it happens between nations. Suffering. Suffering. Well, I think you can see why the song that I just quoted in part from is not, was not one of John Denver's more popular songs, right? <laughs> it was not, I guess it wasn't too beloved. In fact, I have an album of Denver's greatest hits. This wasn't on it, so I was going looking, looking, looking for it. I finally found it. I guess it was in uh, iTunes, maybe? No, on YouTube. And it appeared in only one album. And I was like, okay, that was the message. I think that we would rather not think about this, that suffering is intrinsic to life, always has been, always will be. I think what we want to think is, uh, I wonder, is why does love need savage, hurtful fights? Hmm? Why does heaven need its hell? Which is what Denver was saying. I think we want to see the lion lying down with the lamb, don't we? We want to see goodwill on earth and peace to men and women and all forms of life forever and always. I mean, this is what's in our heart. We talk about, uh, recite the loving kindness prayer here many times. Hmm? May all beings be well. May all beings be well. It's a practice. And I think many of us believe, or at least we hope desperately, that the suffering that is in life is just as a result of um, 
unevolved specimens of human life and that consciousness just needs to evolve more and more and then suffering will be a thing of the past or at least radically diminished. Um, so I'd like to invite you to consider for yourself just for a moment if you would inquire to maybe close your eyes for a moment and consider any form of suffering, but touch into what are your inner responses, your physical sensations when you think of suffering. What happens for you physically? <coughs> And what happens when you think of peace on earth and goodwill to men and women? Envisioning that for a moment. Is there a shift, ask yourself, in your body? Do you feel a shift? Can you experience it? when considering the ideas of peace on earth, the hope, and facing the reality on the other hand of suffering. Thank you. So that's an answer for yourself if you found it within. And coming back to the Buddha's teaching, live in joy and love even among those who hate. Coming back to that, I'm going to suggest that if we really, really are going to do that, then we're going to need, have to come to grips with this truth of the fact there's suffering in life, the truth of relativity, right? There's the good there's the bad, there's the high, there's the low. There's the pleasant, there's the unpleasant. There's the happiness, there's the suffering. It's all of it. This is what John Denver was singing. Relatively speaking, we need to really come to grips with the truth of relativity, and that's a huge one. Whether it's in our lives, the lives of ones we love, or what we see nationally and internationally every day and hear about, the truth of relativity. The um, 14th century poet, Hafiz, Hafiz talked about lawsuits. He said that we have lawsuits against life. Law lawsuits against life. So it's nothing new, by the way. You know, it's back from 14th century. I think it's ancient. I mean, it's ever since there are human beings, there have been lawsuits against life. Um, I think our expectations of life are very, very high. We expect a lot of, from life. And I'd say that maybe we can appreciate that as human beings, we are incomparably mightier than we have ever been as a human species before in the history of humankind, right? It, it's incomparable. Uh, and we have our science and our progress and our engineering 
that have done incredible things to shift the nature of our material existence, and they have. I mean, the disease that's been alleviated, the sickness, and lives have been extended, the material comfort we live in. I'm like, wow, it's easy for us to take it for granted. And I'll just say, as I speak this, I remember many years ago, we've been going here at IMCC for many years, I remember we had a woman uh, who would, came to IMCC for quite a while. She was from Spain. She walked into this room, I remember her telling me, she said, this is so luxurious. It, just this room, did you ever think of that? I hadn't thought about it. I mean, it's a nice room. It was such luxury, she was just amazed at it. Wow. We have such material comforts that we have never, we, we take much, much of it for granted. So as I said, I think our expectations are high. And in addition, of course, we have our screens that present us with information and contact with anybody else, like instantaneously. And finally, we have our Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as inalienable right. We take that very seriously, I think. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, it's natural to want happiness. Who doesn't? Who wouldn't? But we take it as a right and not a blessing. It's so easy to take what we have for granted rather than being grateful for what we have. You know, we feel entitled. And when life doesn't deliver as we expect it to deliver, you know, it's practically unconstitutional, right? This is our lawsuit against life. And we have many. I had a lawsuit against life that day at a Giant. You know, this was a raging around store. I mean, it wouldn't have been obvious to the outside, but it was sure obvious to me. <clears throat> There's nothing in the world that's going to make us like what we don't like. We're never going to like suffering, and we can't strong, our, strong arm ourselves into liking it. But what we do need to do is to begin to come to grips with the fact that we're going to need to forgive life for being life. Not like it, not approve of it, but there's a level on which we need to forgive life for being life, for including suffering intrinsically if we're ever going to live in joy and love and peace. Hmm? As long as we carry around wounds internally that are not, we don't tend to, we can't live in joy and love and peace. We can't do it. We need to work at forgiveness just as we work at loving kindness. And sometimes before we work at loving kindness, right? Because if we haven't forgiven, then we've got just that place where we can't forgive. Our heart is closed, hard, and embittered. That's not living in love and joy and peace. That's being closed up right there. When we talk about forgiveness, there are generally three dimensions of forgiveness. We think about forgiveness for ourselves for what has been inflicted, we've inflicted on others. We might think about we need to forgive others for what they inflict on us. Hmm? And finally, we need to inflict for harm we've done to others. And then, and those we talk about here a lot, 
but there's a fourth dimension. And the fourth dimension is forgiving life for being life. And I was really touched and inspired recently when I heard a talk on Dharma Seed by a teacher named Larry Young. And what Larry talked about, his title of his talk was The Courage to Love, The Practice of Forgiveness. And he talked about forgiving life as among those things that need to be forgiven. And he said, we need to forgive the pain of the world. Like, wow, forgive the pain of the world. He's not saying like it. How can we? We can't. He's not saying don't work or to, to alleviate it as we hope to. But to forgive it, it is naturally life simply being life. So I think a first guideline, as we work toward this forgiveness, a first guideline, I think, is being mindful, being honest with ourselves, and noticing when we're really resisting life. It's presenting to us with stuff that we just don't like. And all you have to do is flip on the news, and I think you'll have a barrage of stuff that you may not really not like, right? A barrage of stuff. Notice, notice it. Certainly, I didn't notice it in that little story I told you about giant. That what I was carrying around with me a giant was unforgiveness. It was a lawsuit. It was a lawsuit. I think that this kind of unforgiveness, these lawsuits, can become like wallpaper in our lives. We kind of just don't see them. There's just so much around, we just kind of walk through it. But it's there, and it takes its toll, doesn't it? So much wallpaper. We try to carry on in wholesome ways, in loving ways, constructive ways, and we got all this wallpaper that's hanging around. So the point that I'm trying to say is not really, not approving, working as we need to work, but trying to embrace, grow big enough, be aware, mindful enough of our resistance. Breathe, open up around it, open up around it. Forgiveness is a little bit different than accepting. And here's where I think the difference is. I mean, technically, they could be the same thing. But I think when we think that we're forget accepting something, what we're really doing is accepting with an attitude. Oh, well, yeah, okay, I accept it. That's not forgiveness. See, when we accept with an attitude, we're still carrying around the, the pain, aren't we? In fact, we're contributing to it. You are, I am, because we're adding to our own pain. That's just contributing more to it. You see how it gets us? You know, like there's, there's just not a choice here. Yeah. And it's a hard one to come to grips with, a hard one to come to grips with. I think our, our um, let's say, pursuit of happiness uh, so easily slips into the business of trying to control life. We want life on our terms to be our way. And to a certain extent, that's okay, it's natural, and it's good. But it's just when life has a way of continually getting out of hand, does it not? 
And that's when our lawsuit comes in. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And it's also where the Buddha's second and third noble truths come in. Both of the second and the third noble truth have to deal with letting go, with surrendering. The second noble truth is the reason why you suffer, the reason why there is suffering in life, is because we can't let go. And the third noble truth is, let go. We need to let go. We need to surrender. Right? When we start thinking about it, this is really powerful stuff. It's not easy. This is, is not at all easy. So what, what are we doing? We're being asked to surrender to reality when it's facing us, to recognize, whoops, you know, this is real, and we can try to fight it, resist it, and we're creating more suffering, our own, our own suffering in this case. So it's a process. It's a long-term process and an ongoing process. And as I said, I think sometimes it even has to precede loving kindness, which we practice. We've talked here about a lot about loving kindness. But we need to open our hearts first or notice when they're, where they're closed. So, um, when we get into the controlling mode, what we are really doing and in controlling life is we are living very much from a personal perspective, from the sense of a me, from a sense of an I. Let me say a little more what I mean here. When we begin to see that suffering is intrinsic to life. It always has been, and in one form or another, is always going to be. We can begin to see, you know, it's impersonal on a level. It is impersonal. It's not just about me and my suffering or you and yours, which is certainly there. But it, life, the suffering of life is impersonal. Forgiving the pain of the world. It's as intrinsic to life as the beauty of the world and the happiness of the world. Working, working, doesn't mean we do it overnight, to forgive it. When we come into this perspective and really recognize that the pain of the world on one level is impersonal, then we can see that whatever we, you, me, whatever suffering I'm experiencing now is really on a certain way, in a certain way, life experiencing itself. Like, that might sound like a big leap. But it's impersonal. Not only are you experiencing it, but life is experiencing itself in this pain. It's not just my pain, it's the pain of the world. That's not to mean you are, your pain is enormous, which it may be. I'm not saying it's worldwide, but I say your pain, my pain, is the pain of life. And that's what's going on. Let's try another little inquiry right here. And I'm going to ask you again to close, close your eyes just for a moment and see if maybe by just inquiring into it, it might become a little clearer. Um, I asked you a moment ago, and I'm going to ask again, if for a moment, and you don't have to think of the biggest, 
suffering in your life. Think of some element of suffering that you have experienced. And again, it doesn't have to be the biggest. Experiencing, what, what are the, how does that feel in the body? How does that feel in the body? Now, trying, if you can, to recognize that this bit of suffering, yours, is an expression of life, is a, an intrinsic expression of the suffering of life. Trying to see it from life's perspective, it's easy to see our suffering from our own personal perspective. Is it possible to try to see suffering from life's perspective? Noticing. Hmm? Noticing if you can. And maybe it's too big a leap to make, and that's okay. And that's okay. Coming back, coming back. From life's perspective, which is impersonal, grand, unfolding, and ever-changing, ever, ever changing. All of it, everything is part of, of the flow of life. Now there is a paradox here, which I will mention. Maybe you've clearly seen it, it's pretty obvious. On the one hand, your life is personal, mine is personal, each one of our lives is personal. And we live it fully and we try to do our very best to live in a wholesome, wise, and compassionate ways, don't we? We are, have our happinesses and our joys, and we have our suffering. Yes, that's the personal perspective. And at, on the other hand, at the same time, life is impersonal. All of it is an expression of this great mystery, and life is a mystery, the great mystery of life. Both are true. Both are true. To live and see only our own personal perspective is not the full story. There is something else we can see. It doesn't diminish our personal perspective. It doesn't take it away in any way. It adds to it. It's the bigger picture. Our lives are part of life and the flow of life of the whole panorama. Um, in the Hindu tradition, they call it Leela, the cosmic play. And we can say this cosmic play is pretty darn serious, of course. Yeah. But it's Leela, it's the whole thing. So what we as practitioners are called on to do is to have both and minds. We need to see both and a bigger word for it is complementarity, but we can stick with both and. We need to see both that life is your own personal life and it is yours to make the most of, and we are trying, and at the same time, it is impersonal. It is impersonal. In other words, Two seemingly contradictory things can be true at the same time. 
It's like light. We know that as a, in, from physics, right? Light is both a wave and a particle. Both a wave and a particle. So life expresses both on our individual levels and it expresses also impersonally. It expresses also impersonally as well. We can practice and we do practice loving kindness sincerely. May all beings be happy and we know that all beings aren't always going to be happy. It's not going to happen. We can do our very best to eliminate suffering or alleviate suffering and we know that our efforts will never be enough. We can suffer with the pain of the world and we can live in joy and love and peace. Both and. So, this talk has come a long, long way and I've said many things here. Um, first of all, um, I will say that I've summarized the major points of this talk. There are some of, copies are on the table back there in case you would like to pick them up, in case you've been thinking, what in the world, I can't keep up with all of this stuff. There's a summary. Also, I've asked Judy, she's going to be putting the main points on, um, posted to our website and it'll be on YouTube with this talk. In case you would like at any time to go back and try to mm, clarify any of it for yourself. But before any of that happens, I'd like to ask you, does anybody have questions or comments? Bill. You know, I want to give you this so that every, I'm, I'm having a little trouble, maybe somebody else may too. Let me, I'll just get back. Yikes. Did, did folks hear what I started with or did I start over again? <laughs> um, so I was reflecting on when we let go in the process and that before I came to Buddhism, it was letting go after you imbued things in life with all the complexity of self and suffering and you know all, all the things that um, that you tend your mind tends to imbue to the unpleasant things that come up in your life and that for me the beauty of the teachings is to let go early when one feels the unpleasantness and that in your gut to the mindfulness that you talked about understanding and you know I'm having a moment of discomfort and anxiety or whatever it is and then let go there I hear you. that that practice to me is sort of the key to this problem it doesn't make it go away it just means that 
the suffering is not imbued with all this downstream. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to. Would you just pass it forward? Or, yeah. So. Just let me make, uh, yeah, no, that'll make that screech, so I didn't want to call it in front of it. Uh, Buddhism, the Buddhist practice is never about, as you said, is never about avoiding anything. Uh, it is about being present in the present moment. So that means seeing the whole complexity of that which is. So to me, it, when you said how you were initially taught, this is what we also are trying to do, to truly see what's there. That's mean beyond our fixed beliefs. And at the same time, to recognize, as the Buddha said, yeah, we don't have to hold on. We don't have to hold on. But, and I've tried to make a really point here, that doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we lie down and just say, oh, well, it's hopeless. Not at all. We work with the love with the forgiveness. Does that respond when you said let go early? Okay, so maybe what you are saying is that we in our culture and mainstream culture are not necessarily taught to begin to open up. And what we do when we let go is we notice where we're holding on. And holding on means a fixed belief, a clinging to something. That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And at the same time, you just said short circuit, and which is absolutely true. And I'm thinking, wow, that comes from very Western, from from our conditioning. You know, it is something to be short circuited. From the Buddhist point of view, it is simply what we're training ourselves to do in order to alleviate suffering. Yeah, same thing, a little bit different way of saying it, but thank you very much. Thanks, Bill, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Jeff. Thank you also uh, for the talk, Susan. <clears throat> it really resonated, and I do a gratitude practice before my sit, and one of the things I say, and this has really proven helpful, as I say, I'm deeply grateful for this life, for this human birth, with all its joy and sorrow, mystery and awe. And it reminds me of the suffering in the world, that I'm grateful for that, just as I am for the joy, because of the contrast and the fact that it reminds me to, to, to as Bill said, to let go early. Beautiful. Thank you, Jeff. You know, as you speak, what it reminded me is of Brother David Stendhal, Brother David Stendhal Rest, whom some of you may know. He has a website called gratefulness.org, which is so beautiful. But he's had a, an interview with Krista Tippett, and his comment, he grew up in, uh, in, during World War II, he was a teenager, and in Austrian, Germany occupied Austria, and she was asking about the suffering then, and then she said, so how can we be grateful? Because this is just what Brother David says, being grateful. He says, we don't have to be grateful for what's in our life, but being grateful for the moment of being there. And I think you are saying the same thing. Very beautiful, very wise. Thanks. Anybody else? 
just addressing Western civilization or maybe human nature. Um, I, I know we talk about um, alleviating suffering, but I think there are, there are some mindsets and some almost perverse uh, parts of, of, of people that kind of get addicted to um, grievance and um, being, being put upon, like, um, I, 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 I'm just going to go right ahead and say it. We have an occupant of the White House who is always aggrieved. It's always some, somebody has done something to me. And I think there's a, there's a certain addiction in, in some people to, I kind of like to suffer. I kind of like to be the one who's, you know, somebody, somebody's doing something mean to me. And I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, what do you, what do you, <laughs> not, it's not ours to fix, I know. But yeah. I mean, I, I do think there's that per perverse part of human nature that you can kind of get addicted to liking to suffer. Okay, so uh, thank you for that, Chris. Um, yeah, and we can call it, yes, something that we, our practice is about working with ourselves. I know, I know, and, we, and what you're talking about can be attributed to life being life and including suffering, and including individuals and groups who hang on to suffering. That's life. This is what we are talking about. It is intrinsic to life. And we needn't go in, I certainly won't go into talking about our president, because that's not what we're here to do, but Recognizing, yeah, this is suffering. I, I, oh, huge, huge suffering. And the most we can do is within, we're working with ourselves. You know, we've got to do our own practice. You, we, not, no one of us can make anyone else shift, change. We can only be the best we possibly can, and that's a huge task. So, you know, it's a never end. We got more than enough stuff on our plate to work with. But yeah, thank you. Yes. So we are a minute or two past time, and I want to remind you if anybody would like to pick up, I think there's still probably a few uh, summaries on the table there of tonight's main talks. Uh, you're welcome to do it, and we will see you all in next week. Thank you.